Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is Season 7 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional no-apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. Now, the Word of God is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's Word right now. Now I would invite you to take out your Bibles, either the ones that you brought with you or the ones in the pews, and turn in them with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm 91 today, one of my favorite psalms. In fact, there's a, a number of songs, uh, worship songs, that have been written uh, about Psalm 91. One of my favorites being um, Psalm 91 by a band called the Mark Swayze Group. And so uh, it's a psalm that I'm very familiar with, and it's one that I find particular comfort in especially in such a time as this. Uh, we're in the midst of a series called A Journey Through Lent. This is uh, Tim Keller's study of the Psalms through the season of Lent, which he uh, first recorded and presented in 2016. Uh, as a church, we have done this study uh, in 2017 during Lent. Uh, as part of a joint uh, study that we did with the Ministerium of Penns Grove and Carney's Point. This particular sermon, however, was never uh, recorded, even though I had created the sermon notes for it that particular weekend, which was uh, March 19th of 2017. Uh, that particular weekend, I was away on a men's retreat, and so I never delivered this sermon. We had uh, Betty and Chuck Mitchell uh, both uh, stood in for me that weekend while I was uh, at the men's retreat. But the reason I'm going to record this uh, message for you today is this. Uh, I find this particular psalm to be especially pertinent during this current crisis that we are facing the coronavirus, which is going all around the world and has inv invaded uh, the United States, has been um, multiplying exponentially in countries everywhere, uh, especially hard hit in China and in Italy. And we're seeing a lot of it now. We're seeing panic rise in our nation, and we're seeing um, a lot of bad behavior, uh, profiteering and hoarding. This psalm spoke to me, and I'm going to read it for you, and I'm going to um, hopefully um, bring it to some sort of uh, inclusion with the series, which I recorded in 2017, called A uh, Journey Through Lent. This psalm is about how to have your heart at peace in a very dangerous world. It's a very timely message, given everything that's going on around the world today with this plague of coronavirus. Uh, therefore, let us hear the word of the Lord for us today. This is Psalm 91, and I'll be reading from uh, the New Revised Standard Version. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, 
who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day, or the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, to you we turn our eyes for all wisdom and strength in such a time as this. Open our eyes to see your glory. Open our ears to hear your word spoken to us. Open our hearts to receive your love and grace. Teach us what you would have us to know this day. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we are young, oftentimes we think of ourselves as untouchable, immortal. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is look at videos on YouTube and see young people doing crazy things, stupid things. <laughs> uh, but, and we've all done those things because we all think that in our youth, when we've lived such short lives, that life stretches before us to eternity. We think to ourselves, other people get sick. Other people get hurt. Not us. No, not us. The very first uh, time I realized I was not invincible, I think was probably when I was in the fourth grade. I was riding my bike home. And in my mind, I was imagining myself as some sort of secret spy. And I had to get home in a certain time. So I was really trucking along, you know, and I was just flying and, and I was in my mind, I was playing a countdown, you know, Agent Walker, you have to be home in, in 30 seconds. And so I'm flying and I'm counting down 29, 28, 27, and I'm flying around the corner, 15, 14 came around the corner of my street where I lived and there was a car and smash. I ran right into it, flew over it and landed on the pavement. Um, just about destroyed the man's car. I remember sitting up and looking at my bike and watching as the, the front tire just blew out. 
Uh, it happened right in front of the middle school, so they, uh, they took me inside to the nurse. The nurse called the ambulance. The ambulance came and got me. Uh, my mom and dad came and got me at the hospital. I had a broken arm. I had scrapes, bruises, and I had my first taste of mortality. And I realized that I'm not invincible. I realized that I'm not immortal. In fact, later in life, we understand that there is a fragility to life. It's a dangerous world we live in. How in the world can we live in, with peace or poise in a world like this? As we look at this psalm, I'll break it down into three sections. Uh, verses 1 through 4 give us the promise. The promise. Verses 5 through 14, uh, we're, we're going to see the difficulty. How can we understand God's promise for us? And then verses 14 through 16, God speaks to us and gives us the key to understanding. So first we're going to look at um, verses 1 through 4. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We see God as a fortress. We sing a, a hymn by Martin Luther. And it's number 110 in our hymnal. A mighty fortress is our God. And I find it interesting because this was written by Martin Luther in around the year 1529. In the year 1528, we have records of Martin Luther referencing uh, cases of the Black Plague, which had come to Wittenberg, where he was the pastor, where he had nailed his 95 theses to the church door in 1517. In 1528, there were cases of uh, what we now know as bubonic plague in Wittenberg, and he wanted to be able to minister to his people without putting his people at risk. And so he wrote these words, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. We, we live in troubling times, and yet in times such as that, Martin Luther was able to write those words. A mighty fortress is our God. Here we see, we will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We think of God as a protection around us, that he will never let anything bad ever happen to us. And yet, if we read through the pages of the Bible, we will see just the opposite. Not that God causes us harm, but that God does not stop harm from happening to us. Certainly, the Hebrews were afflicted in Egypt. Certainly, uh, Elijah was persecuted by Jezebel despite his great victory. Certainly, there were faithful people in both Israel and Judea when they were carried away into captivity. And yet, 
God allowed it to happen. Why? If he is our fortress and our refuge. We, there's this beautiful picture here in verse uh, 4. He will cover you with his pinions, his feathers. And under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. This is the image that, that God is giving to his people. The children of mankind take refuge. This is the promise. God will protect you. God will protect you. Just as a mother bird protects her young chicks with her wings, spreads her wings over them so that nothing bad can happen to them. And in that image, we see three things. First of all, the mother is stronger than her little ones. Certainly, our God is much, much stronger than we are. So we see strength. We also see tenderness and love because the strength that is outside of the mother bird, that, that she's protecting her little ones from evil, though there is strength on the outside, inside there is tenderness and love. She, she doesn't use her strength to crush her children, but rather protects them with tenderness. And then there's a third thing, which I'm going to come back to later on in the message, but strength and tenderness and love. The, the image of a, of a mother bird protecting her chicks is one that is powerful. And we see it in numerous places in Scripture. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 12, uh, Boaz speaking to Ruth says to her, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Psalm 36 and verse 7 says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of my, mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. It's incredibly uh, moving picture, a bird covering her chicks with her wings. Think of a, a mother hen. Hens have a, a natural uh, enemy in a chicken hawk. The chicken hawk comes down and eats little chickens. And the mother hen, when she sees that shadow on the ground, the danger approaching, she starts clucking and she calls her little chicks to her and she, she gathers them under her and she spreads out her wings. And then she, she looks up at that chicken hawk and she stares him right down. That's the image of God taking us under the shadow of his wings. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Now that's the promise. The promise is that God will protect you just as a bird will protect her chicks with her wings. But here's the difficulty. Here's the difficulty. How can we understand God's promise? The psalmist gives us some, some uh, very wild uh, claims about God's protection. This is what he says. He says, you will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by the day or the pestilence 
that stalks in darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday. Uh, that, that word destruction is also uh, translated in other places as a plague. So we don't have to fear pestilence or plague. And here we are in 2020 with this coronavirus hanging over us. It says, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Here's the difficulty. Uh, the danger in reading these promises is that, is that we might come to believe that if we trust in God, nothing bad will ever happen to us. And life will go smoothly. Conversely, if bad things do happen, it's because we are not trusting God enough or we somehow lack faith. Now let me tell you three reasons why this is not what this passage is saying. Three reasons why this is not what this passage is saying. Number one, how desperately we want this to be what it means. How desperately we want this to be what it means. That if somehow we can muster enough faith in God, if we can trust in God enough that nothing bad will ever happen to us. And whole churches have been built on that notion of prosperity, the prosperity gospel, where if you just believe hard enough, God will give you everything you desire and you will never suffer for anything. You'll never be sick. Your, 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 your house will never get foreclosed on. You will never lose your job. You will, always be, uh, you will always get every promotion. You will always, your children will be perfect. Your children are going to grow up to be doctors and lawyers. And nothing could be further than the truth, from the truth. Those things could happen, but not because of our faith in God, but because of the way life unfolds. Life unfolds the way it does. And bad things do happen. And so even though we may desperately want this to be what it means, that, that, that God will protect us through every uh, danger, you think of people who go, well, I believe, I have faith, and so I'm going to go visit those who are sick with coronavirus, and God won't touch me. That's a very dangerous way to live. It's a very dangerous way to live, and it's a very dangerous way to believe, because when trouble does come, because when difficulties do arise, there goes your faith. God, I believed in you. Why didn't you protect me? It's, it's dangerous. So that's one reason we, we desperately wanted to mean that. But the second reason that it's not what this is saying, look at the book of Job. Look at the book of Job as an example. So in the book of Job, we see a man who is described as righteous, and yet God allows Satan to put him to the test by taking away his possessions, by taking away his health. And then, if that's not bad enough, uh, three men come along, his supposed friends, who tell him, you know, hey, Job, confess to what you did wrong. Well, maybe... It wasn't because of something that was done wrong. You know, I've heard a lot of people saying that this, this plague, this uh, coronavirus, is somehow being sent to judge us. And there's an inherent danger in that. Because what about the people who are faithful to God? 
who might contract this illness as well. You know, what do you say to those people? Well, I guess you didn't have enough faith. Oh, I guess you didn't believe hard enough. Well, why don't you confess your sin and God will heal you? That's such a dangerous thing to say. And it's such a dangerous thing and wrong thing to believe. So we want desperately to want this. We desperately want this to mean what we want it to mean. Uh, we can look at the book of Job for an example as to why this is not what it's saying. But the third reason is because, and this is, a, this is going to strike you as um, harsh, but Satan wants us to read it that way. Satan wants us to believe that somehow this psalm is promising us that if we only seek our refuge in God, that nothing bad will ever happen to us. And why does Satan want us to believe that? Because he knows that something bad will happen to us. It happens to all of us. Even those who are uh, strongest in our faith. I remember back in 2012, we, were, we had no idea that Erin was pregnant. And we only found out because she started having a miscarriage. And that event, it, it, it crushed my soul. And I remember pouring tears on the carpet in the waiting room at the hospital and, and praying to God and saying, why are you doing this to me? What did I do to you? Well, life happens. And sometimes life happens the way it happens because life is life. Because we live in a fallen world. How can we think that we cannot be touched by these things? We live in a world that is marked by sin. And ever since the very beginning, corruption, death, and, and pain, and suffering, and disease have entered into this world by way of our sin. And it touches everyone, from the faithful to the unfaithful, from, you know, the Pope to the most derelict pagan. Who knows? These things happen. And so those are reasons why uh, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that if we trust in God, nothing bad will ever happen to us and life will go smoothly. And if bad things happen, it's because we're not trusting God enough or somehow we lack faith. faith. Those, that's not what this passage is saying. Here's how we should read it. Read it under the uh, microscope of uh, the story of Joseph. Now, I'm not talking about Joseph, the stepfather of uh, Jesus. I'm talking about Joseph... Um, the young son of Jacob, who his brothers were jealous of. Now he was, I mean, he was a pernicious little kid, you know, and he had these dreams and he told his brothers that they were going to bow down to him and his mom and his dad were going to bow down to him as well. And they were like, this little snot-nosed punk, you know, what did they do? They beat him up, they threw him into a pit, they sold him into slavery and he goes into Egypt, he's falsely accused of a crime, thrown into prison, left to rot. And then he, he interprets dreams for a couple of the Pharaoh's servants who are restored, and they totally forget about him. Well, the one is restored, the other one loses his head. But the one who was restored totally forgot about Joseph until there was a plague. Pharaoh had a dream that there was going to be seven years of, of plenty and seven years of famine, and then 
So they called, they called um, this Joseph to interpret his dream, and Joseph told them what they should do. Now Pharaoh restores him, brings him out of prison, and gives him a position of power so that he will be like the governor in the land, and he's going to um, take care of all, all things pertaining to this famine. Now Joseph's brothers come down from Israel. Uh, it wasn't Israel at the time, it was Canaan. And they came down because they were affected by the famine and they were looking for food relief. They heard that uh, Egypt had plenty. And so um, they didn't recognize Joseph and he had a little fun with them, you know. Uh, he gave them bags of grain and he sent them on their way. He, he accused them of being spies. He made Simeon stay behind in prison while the other ten went home. To get their, or the other nine went home to get their other brother, uh, Benjamin. Because Benjamin was, um, was uh, Joseph's blood brother of, uh, the son of the other son of Rachel. So the brothers come back with Benjamin. Uh, he accuses them again of stealing, you know. And then he's like, I'm going to throw you all in prison. And I'm just going to take Benjamin and put him in prison. And Judah who is the ancestor of David and thus Jesus, says, take me instead. And there's that substitutionary sacrifice. Take me instead. Joseph sees that his brothers have changed. He reveals himself to them. Now they're fearful. They're, they're thinking, what, what is he going to do to us? This is what Joseph said to them. Do not fear. You meant this for evil. When you sold me into slavery, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And what happened? Because God set him up so that he could take care of his family, so that he could preserve Abraham's race, which would ultimately uh, grow and flourish in Egypt and then come out of Egypt and be established as its own nation. And so we don't see those things and certainly Joseph didn't even see all those things happening in his lifetime, but he knew in his heart of hearts that, that all of his suffering eventually would come to something good. Whether for him or for his ancestors, he didn't know. He wouldn't see it for another 480 years. And yet, he believed in it. And we look at Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together. For the good of those who believe in God, who are called according to his purpose. See, bad things do happen, but God brings his power to bear on history so that all things, even evil things, will somehow bring more greatness and glory, which is the ultimate defeat of evil. Now, we look at things in the lens of just right now, the moment, but God sees eternity stretching out before him like a, an unbroken thread. So if we can't read this the way we want to read it, it says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in your, all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Now we come to the key to understanding, the covenant promise. See, if we love God, he will protect us, but he's going to protect us not in a physical sense, but in an eternal sense. This is what he says in verses 14 through 16. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. 
I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. See, if God loves us, he will love us eternally. God doesn't offer us perfect life in this world. He offers us eternal life in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the key to understanding. Those who love me, God says, I will deliver. Sometimes the greatest healing that God can give to us is eternal healing. We may think those of us who are left behind when we see our loved ones dying, we may think, how can God, you know, God, I prayed to you for healing. God says, I healed them. I brought them into my presence. There's no more suffering, no more tears. I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's no more sickness, no more death. That's eternal healing. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 21 that they will have persecution in this life. You know, Luke 21 verses 16 to 19, Jesus says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Well, that sort of, sort of sounds an awful lot like you won't even stub your toe. That's what it says here. You know, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On your hands, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You won't even stub your toe. So Jesus is saying that you'll be persecuted, but not a hair on your head will perish. Well, what does that mean? It means, well, think about the great promise in John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God offers us eternal life in his son. See, the, the point that we're making here is that if we make God our refuge, you'll have peace. Then when the bad things happen, then when the trying times come, you will still have peace because you are resting, resting in the shadow of God's protection. When terrible things happen, we take our soul out of the refuge of the worldly things. See, we, we seem to think that our protection is in our 401k or our protection is in our Roth IRA, our retirement fund. And I hear people going crazy right now because the stock market is plunging and people's retirement is getting hit. We're depending on those things for our protection. We take our protection out of the refuge of worldly things and we put them in the security of God's refuge. We rest in the shadow of his wings. The things of this earth will fade. They will perish. They will fall away. But God's love is enduring God's steadfast love endures forever, from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. In verses 14 and 16, God speaks to us. Up until now in the, in the psalm, the psalmist is speaking on behalf of us. But now God is speaking directly to us when he says, Those who love me, I will deliver. This is pointing forward to the gospel. 
to Jesus. Now, earlier I said that there were three things that the picture of the mother bird gives us. The first is her strength because she's stronger than the little ones. The second is her tenderness and love because even though the, the world is assailing her from the outside, inside the shelter of her wings, there is tenderness, there is protection. But the third is this, substitutionary sacrifice. Substitutionary sacrifice. I told you about the chicken, the hen who covers her chicks with her wings. When the chicken hawk comes, she'll stare it down. She has nothing to protect herself. If that chicken hawk comes down and snatches her up, in her, her mind, so be it. She protected her kids. She became the substitutionary sacrifice for her little ones. Jesus in Luke chapter 13 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. What Jesus did for us on the cross is nothing short of giving his own life for us. He became that mother hen who covers us with his wings, with his strength, and with his tenderness, and with his substitutionary sacrifice. He gave himself for our sakes. And that is the protection that God offers us in this psalm. During these dark times of uncertainty and fear, I know that there are a lot of Christians, well-intentioned though they might be, who are looking to Psalm 91 and saying, see, here God's word is telling us that if we take our refuge in him, he will protect us from deadly pestilence and plague. But as we have seen, there's inherent danger in that way of thinking and applying this verse to mean specifically that. Our purposes are for today. They are immediate. God's purposes are eternal. He doesn't look at time like we do because we can only live it in one direction. But God lives in all times and all places at once. The God who created space and time lives outside of it and sees it all stretched before him like an unbroken thread. Does God offer healing and protection? Yes, he does. And that came at the cost of his own son. We rest in the shelter of his wings. He spreads out his feathers and covers us from the eternal wrath and judgment to come. What Psalm 91 tells us that is pertinent during this global pandemic and every global pandemic and natural disaster that has ever befallen us and will again in the future, what Psalm 91 tells us is this. If you take refuge in God, he will protect the real you, the you that will last for eternity. And then you will become the kind of person who can weather difficult times such as this. Let us pray together. Almighty, most loving God, we turn to you. We turn our, our eyes, ourselves to you for your protection. And not just protection for the immediate, but Lord, we turn to you for our eternal salvation. We know what Jesus did for us on the cross. And sometimes in our, in our mundane lives, in our day-to-day -day existence, we sit and we think that we know what you want for us and that you'll protect us from every bad thing that will happen. Forgive us for ever believing, Lord, that 
that your plan for us is for this life only. But give us the calm assurance, Lord, that you have given us salvation that stretches out for all eternity. That even though bad things might happen to us in this life, we can weather those things because we know that you love us. Because we know that you have covered us with your wings, that you have given us your strength, your tenderness, but also your substitutionary sacrifice on the cross of Jesus Christ, that you took our punishment for us and you offer us eternal life in his name. Give us the calm assurance, Lord, that no matter what this life may throw at us, no matter what may happen to us, that we will rise above those things because we have faith in you. And when sickness and pestilence and plague and and disaster befall us, give us the calm assurance there, there is still an eternity stretching out before us that you have offered us in the name of your Son. All this we pray in his mighty name, the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of Guerrilla Christianity. My prayer for you is that you have been blessed in its teaching as I have been blessed putting this message together. God has also blessed me in appointing me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pettertown. And if you live in the area and you don't have a church to call your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We also have Bible study during the week. Now, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, please share it with your friends and family. Hit like, leave a comment, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Guerrilla Christianity. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until next time, remember this, Christ died for you, now go live for Christ.